Hey everyone, this is season two of Race, Justice, and the Church. I'm your host, Nate Winstead. You can follow me at Nate, Knight with a K, wins. Before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you to consider leaving a rating or writing a review for this podcast in Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out to people who might not know about it. And if this podcast has been helpful for you, if you really appreciate what I'm putting out into the world, please let other people know, specifically by leaving a rating. And if you really love me, by writing a review. Makes a huge difference. Thanks so much. I'm here today with David Carment. He's on the mic. Um, David and I know each other from seminary. Really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be great. Uh, David is a New Jersey native, and he's the planter and pastor of Liberty Church in Jersey City, New Jersey. He's also the center director of New City Kids, New Jersey, a robust after-school program that empowers at-risk teens to become role models for kids in their neighborhood. He is a, like I said, a fellow seminarian and a recent grad of Alliance Theological Seminary here in New York City, and his wife, Taylor, uh, and him are expecting their first child very soon. David, welcome to the mic. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Man, well, I'm excited about this. Um, like I said, David and I met in uh, some seminary class, and I remember being like, as I got to know him a little bit, I was like, "Who is? first of all, who is this other white guy in my <laughs> class? Because... Uh, Nyack College is pretty diverse ethnically, so oftentimes you're the only white person in the in the room. There's another white yep. guy over there, uh, and so I got to know him. He's like pretty woke, so I'm like, who is this other woke white guy? Um, <laughs> and uh, we we hit it off um, talking about a lot of stuff. But um, David, I'm I'm curious how did how did you become this woke white guy? <laughs> I signed up for a subscription uh, to be a part of the club. Oh, yeah. Okay. And gotcha. it's great. Uh, <laughs> Wokewhiteguys.com. Yep. Uh, they have both monthly and yearly subscriptions. So. Oh, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. All right. Uh, yeah. No, I. It, it's a question I get often. Um, and there's not like this obviously radical, like come to Jesus moment where it's like, oh, that's when I became aware of my ethnicity and the culture that I live in. Um, but the one thing that I always point to is actually the school that I went to, um, which on the surface you wouldn't think would contribute to it because it was a small, uh, Christian school in a white, uh, suburb, but the school okay. itself was actually extremely diverse. <laughs> um, so wow, okay. oftentimes similar to, uh, Alliance, I would be one of only a handful of white kids in my class and, um, there was all these other cultures that I experienced, whether it's uh, my best friend Mirage, who's Indian and his parents uh, moved here. And so it's like at lunch table and smelling like his food, you know what I mean? That his mom cooked for him or nice. uh, my other friends that are Latino and they're bringing in all the good stuff, whether it's the Cuban sandwich or the empanadas <laughs> or the pricey condones. So like I grew up in a school where I just assumed everybody got that experience where they're around like, Right. all these different cultures and these different ethnicities and um the school even like celebrated that diversity and did like a multicultural day so i just like naturally grew up around a lot of different backgrounds different experiences different home dynamics um i would get picked up and dropped off by like a family friend 
but mm-hmm. I had other classmates that would take the bus home and it, they would have to take the bus two towns away to go into Newark. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and they had a key nice. that they let themselves in at because their parents were working the night shift or had two jobs or whatever. So, um, yeah, right from an early age, I was just always aware that there's like beautiful diversity all around me. Um, I think growing up in Jersey for all of its knocks and disrespect people show to it is pretty diverse place and <laughs> in a lot of areas. So, um, I was really blessed in that yeah. sense as well. Yeah, man. People, people really do hate on New Jersey a lot, <laughs> myself is, included. And I've been checked a few times like, Hey, <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. Stop that. <laughs> like, <"Ugh>, sorry. <laughs> there's, there's real New Jersey, which is the Northeast New Jersey. Um, Oh, oh, really? Then Uh-oh. South Jersey doesn't really get a lot of respect from us. And then there's the Jersey Shore, which is just an anomaly. <laughs> uh, nobody really knows what to do with it. It's where you go to the beach, but do people live there? Do you want to be associated with the shore? Nobody knows, especially MTV show know. really messed everything up. So. Right. Yeah, that's uh, it really did put a, <laughs> a yeah, uh, a bad taste just <laughs> in the phrase, Jer- the Jersey Shore. Like It's true. Just totally jacked it up. Um, well, aw- that's that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, my I mean, I went to school my whole life in a very white suburb, and I was it was all, like, white people. Um, I remember one, one girl in high school, she was half Jewish, so <laughs> there's some diversity. <laughs> Not really. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, you did have a, a unique experience. That's um, that's pretty cool. Um, so obviously, you went to a Christian school, so uh, there's that tells us a little bit right there. But um, I'd love for you to tell our listeners just a little bit about your your church background, what your like experience with faith and Christianity was. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up uh, in the church. Um, my parents were active attenders uh and they volunteered in different areas but um i wasn't a pk or anything like that um i found out later uh uh, that my great-grandfather actually was a pastor of a tiny little italian speaking uh pentecostal church which is kind of like a cool family heritage thing yeah um but my church as well i mean it was connected to the school i went to um was pretty diverse um in terms of congregation wise um, mm-hmm. not so much in terms of, uh, pastoral staff, uh, it was okay. mainly from one family. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the church itself, I mean, obviously give credit that I'm a believer today and that I'm in ministry and stuff, but it definitely had some, some theological flaws to say the least, um, sure. <laughs> as every church does. And mm-hmm. I'm sure people can easily highlight all of mine, uh, if they attended my church long enough, so. <laughs> right. um but yeah i mean connecting it to race like we did we were in nutley new jersey which if you know is like a pretty white town uh but it's close to newark and we did this like beautiful thing where we'd like bus uh this group of like homeless uh homeless people in uh or like just families that were struggling and they had clothes and food and everything but they made them like sit in like a particular section so oh man awkward like predominantly black group of people from newark and Mm -hmm. like that was their section they had to sit in because you know they might smell bad or they might be a distraction or whatever and so you can't like mess with the pristine perfectly organized church service so there was like those little things where i'm like okay we're doing something great but 
Is this how it's wow. supposed to be? I think I think James said something about that. You know, <laughs> um, about yep. where you should have people sit in your gatherings. Yeah, wow. it was usually to the side and back. Mm. <laughs> um, oh man, that's, that's so, terrible. Yeah, that that was one element, and then I think the other big flaw that I, I picked up on, especially as I got older, was just like everything that was talked about was how to like serve the church and mm-hmm. its activities and like within its four walls and like make sure you're tithing and make sure you're volunteering. Cause we have these two services a week plus Sunday morning and make sure you do this or come to that. And, um, outreaches were like, let's do them on premises and make people come to us. And there was never, uh, the whole idea of like, if the church closed with the like town or city notice, like, Right. I felt like even though we were this big, huge building and this large congregation, like would the town of Nutley even know that we stopped meeting because we weren't making a tangible impact. Right. Um, at least by my standard or definition. So, man. Well, well, I don't want uh, um, to discount too much. Uh, you Is that uh, the church that you came to faith in? Yeah. Yeah. I came to faith in um, my grandmother. I worked in the church office a little bit. I don't want to share oh, the cool. name of the church because I don't want them to seem like I'm trying to right. poop on this church. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm not. Uh, uh, they they were actually where I first started out, even in ministry, uh, mm. first as a youth wow. leader. Uh, when I graduated uh, with my undergrad, I became a youth pastor there and worked at the Christian school uh, that I graduated from and was a school counselor and athletic director. So uh, definitely a lot of gratitude there towards gotcha. them. But... And so clearly you had a... Uh, a passion, a desire to do ministry of some kind, um, you know, from your experience there. So fast forward to uh, you are a church planter in Jersey City of Liberty Church. Um, would love for you to just tell us about your experience with that. I remember um, you t- you in class you would talk about uh, Liberty Church a bit and how it's a pretty um, – ethnically diverse or, or, or mostly African-American, I believe. And you're the pastor of it. And you had a, a number of experiences with that. But if you could tell us just about that process of planting Liberty Church. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I moved to Jersey City in 2014, freshly married, 25 years old, and thought, let's church plant. Because most 25-year-olds are looking to church plant in <laughs> wow, that is tough urban context. Right? That's young. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I don't recommend church planting necessarily that young or not even being married a year in church planting, both challenging things mm. in and of themselves. But yeah, yeah, we church planted and we actually weren't called Liberty Church at the time. We were City Reach. Uh, oh, which that's right. Of, okay. Uh, yeah, City Reach Network. Uh, I was also part of the Assemblies of God. Um, and so we were part of this like urban church planting network and uh, we launched and by the grace of God, he showed favor because we probably shouldn't have launched by like church planting statistics. We had a really small team, which was sure. me, my wife, my parents, and my sister, uh, and two other people. <laughs> nice. So, not really that big. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it, it was incredible. Uh, we had someone in the network, him and his wife came and helped us out, but also uh, a white couple. And mm-hmm. I share that cause outside of, uh, this core team, everybody that showed up was predominantly not white. And so mm-hmm. I always joked um, that I'm the only white guy that goes to my church. And right. some people didn't believe me until they really came in and experienced our church, whether by guest speaking or doing a joint thing together. But 
yeah, it was incredible. And I, I, I wish that I was like, oh, here's all the steps that I was doing um, to make this happen. I was just loving my community and wanting to make a difference and had all this big vision that I was sharing with these people as they would come. And um, yeah, ended up, we had a really diverse congregation with, with Latino, with um, African-American, with African immigrant, um, with Caribbean, uh, basically uh, every uh, ethnicity that you would think lived in the area pretty much kind of walked through our doors, which was really incredible because we weren't yeah. a very big church. Um, we were pretty, pretty small uh, as a congregation. So um, that was kind of the journey. And then uh, a few years into it, uh, just logistical reasons, we'll just leave it at that. I uh, mm. felt the need to leave the network and uh, the nomination that we were part of and yeah. um, was just sharing at this pastoral gathering and uh, uh, my co-pastor, Pastor Lipe, uh, who pastors a bilingual church in Jersey City called Fountain of Salvation, uh, was like, hey, why don't you just come and with us in our English service? I think there's a lot that we could kind of glean off of you and learn from. Mm. And that's the beginning phases of what birthed Liberty Church, which is a merger of my congregation, his congregation, and a desire to plant a multicultural expression out of Fountain of Salvation that um, reached the community of Jersey City. So Wow. And Fountain of Salvation has been there for longer than you guys, right? Yeah, close to 40 years. Um, wow. It was birthed out of this... Um, um, Pentecostal movement within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Oh, wow, the, okay. Yeah. The, within the Catholic Church. Come on, Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> gotcha. it, was, it was back in the 70s, and basically the priest was like, if you guys are going to do that, this isn't the spot for you. And so wow. it was like super grassroots, and mm-hmm. it's since grown into uh, churches all throughout South America uh, and the U.S., um, predominantly Spanish-speaking, obviously. And so... Um, my co-pastor's desire was to see the English service, which primarily was second gen, um, members of the church really mm-hmm. grow and morph into a community based English, uh, church. So, right. Um, which is kind of where we're at today, man. That's, that's awesome. Cause, um, I, you know, all of that, you just, you know, talked about it just for a minute, but that, I know that was a lot for you. Um, a lot of unknowns of what is God doing in all of this. Um, and just to know that, um, you know, in his providence, he had this other church over here that is, uh, you know, in alignment with um, his vision as well as, you know, the vision he had given you and just that you guys are able to, um, were able to connect and come together as a, as a church. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's it's the kind of stuff that you wish would happen more often. Um, churches being able to not just collaborate, but um, join together for the good of the kingdom, to grow the kingdom, uh, to reach more people uh, with the gospel. So that's yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And awesome. I mean, even in uh, us joining together, like race and uh, ethnicity played a part in that, like, all right, what is the optics of this, you know? Uh, a white pastor and his congregation come in and now they want to have a new name for the English service. Like it could have gone really poorly and based on some really amazing counsel from like city to city and some other pastors that we rely on, we um, felt that it was best um, 
for Lipe to actually hold like the title of like senior pastor. Mm-hmm. And for me, like a little demotion, so to speak, if you want to look at it that way, I didn't uh, as like kind of pastor over like evangelism and outreach. Mm. And so that was kind of what we agreed upon because it's not typical to see the minority pastor uh, take the lead on it uh, when it comes to like kind of those jockeying things or right. mergers. And so um, even in those things, we wanted the optics to appear different than what you might experience in everyday life. So, Yeah, man. Oh, well, I mean, bro, props to you. That's, that's, that's great. <laughs> and um, I mean, that I, I'm not surprised by that at all uh, by your uh, character. And um, I think that highlights how, um, you know, how difficult navigating these things are. You got, you got to think about optics, uh, you know, power, power dynamics, power structures, and um, often that's that's why, um, whether it's said or not, um, a lot of a lot of uh, people struggle with um, really doing justice when it comes to race because it it, it is hard. It it, it calls for uh, sacrifice um, for everyone involved, uh, but in a lot of ways for white people because. <laughs> We're at the top of the the racial food chain, uh, in there, in this racial caste system that we have in uh, white supremacy. But uh, man, I'm 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 just excited to hear about all that God is doing um, at Liberty Church through you um, and everybody there. But I also know that you also do a lot of great work uh, with an organization called. New City Kids. Mm-hmm. So um, this is an awesome organization. Uh, could you tell our listeners just what the, what that is, how it started, how you got involved with it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I first got introduced um, to it about uh, maybe two, three months into it as a church plant. Um, I was pretty active in trying to connect and network uh, in church planting. And so uh, a friend, colleague of mine was like, hey, you got to check out this after school program called New City Kids. Mm-hmm. And literally had no idea what I was walking into. Didn't even know it was a Christian organization at the time. Um, oh, wow. But just like was meeting uh, with the executive director, Josh, at the time. And uh, so he starts sharing with me and just fell in love with um, what they do. And during the transition of, uh, I'll get to what they do in just a second, but during the transition that my wife and I were going through with our church and leaving City Reach Network, uh, possibly pursuing a church plant, um, at Fountain Salvation, um, there was a job opening that I found out about at New City Kids. And, um, so I started working there. And so I was bivocational, uh, which is most of my church planting experience, uh, while also going to seminary, which was brutal. I I will be honest. (laughs) Um, but I, there's only a, a small amount of moments in life. I feel like people get to experience where like, it connects for them and they realize like, wow, I'm in like the perfect will of God or like, Mm. this is like this beautiful moment that I want to always remember. And like, it can be so many different things, but like starting at new city, I just knew I was like home. Like this is everything that I could have wanted to do. Some of the vision of like what I had before even church planting of like what our church could do or want to do. Like Mm. lo and behold, it was already in Jersey city for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Over 25 years. And now I get to just like tap in and, and be pushing the cart forward. You know what I mean? With, with awesome. The team, so. Yeah. 
Oh um, man, that's that's. Uh, I just want to highlight what you just said there. That like, lo and behold, like God had already been working through some other people, getting that going. Because a, a lot of the times, um, you know, we can we can look at look at our city, look at our area, and be like, ah, oh, this this really needs to happen. And like, we're not the first ones to have that realization. Um, you know, I, I always say that uh, the Holy Spirit. He's he's at work like everywhere. <laughs> you know, we've got to we've got to um listen to him and he'll he'll lead us to where we can be a part of what he's already doing. So I think that's a huge that's a huge thing. Um yeah, so keep going, keep going. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um so I I'll explain a little bit of what we do cuz uh the name could even be deceiving you to the kids cuz we are a holistic ministry that is actually geared towards teens first, uh, mm-hmm. but that also ministers to kids. And like our, our um, mission statement is loving kids for change to create a community of spiritual leadership, academic and music development. Um, and those things are key. We call it SLAM, the spiritual leadership, academic and music nice. elements of what we do. Um, and so just got to slam a kid down, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's there so many things to the model. We don't slam any kids around. That would uh, we'd make the New York Times and not in a good way. Right. Um, but yeah, we we employ high school students uh, in a holistic internship, and these high school students help us lead after school centers uh, that are music based, uh, that are Christian as well. Hmm. And uh, through these after school programs, they get opportunities for leadership. And the academic component is twofold. It's the tutoring that we offer in the after school centers but it's also the standard that we hold our teens to. Um, and so we call it an internship because just saying that we employ teens is not really giving justice to what we do and what we expect of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to give you an idea of like the robust size of our program in Jersey city alone, we have three after school centers. So I run one of those as a center director. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three after school centers and we have 70 teens uh, that we employ. Wow. Um, and last year total, we employed 175 um, because we have a location in Patterson, we have a location in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, and we're going to be launching, uh, or we have begun to launch uh, a location in Detroit. Wow! Um, and so Man, that's, that's huge. Seventy kids, like, <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. this is probably their first job that yep. you guys are providing. Like, that's huge. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Yep. Uh, and I, I was looking through our annual report uh, for a different statistic, and this one popped up, which is since 2015, we've employed 442 teenagers, Wow, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, so it's, it's quite a, a big uh, uh, thing that we're, we're doing, obviously, and it takes a lot of funding uh, to have this many teens employed and stuff. But right. um, the model is like literally – the the best thing I've ever seen. Um, and so these teens, we prefer to, we, we target a couple things. One, we try to target them as freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. Um, so most jobs don't want to hire that young anyway. Um, right. We do because we want them in our program to maximize all the things that we do. Uh, and we target what's called the middle 60. Um, so the top 20% of students are going to perform academically they're going to be successful regardless of what roadblocks are in front of them. Uh, they're motivated. They're geared. They're, they're going to be successful. They're going to be okay. 
the bottom 20, oftentimes there's either other programs available to them, mm -hmm. other organizations that are targeting their specific needs, um, or their, their needs are just beyond anything that we could uh, necessarily uh, address. Right. And so what we target is the middle 60, which is the kid that gets seized in class. They probably mm -hmm. aren't getting in trouble that much, but they're going to fly under the radar. And if they don't get strategic mentorship, right. are going to have a hard time going to college um, because we target the high schools in Jersey City that are the lowest performing. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Some of our high schools are graduating at 55 and 60 percent, um, which is quite a low graduation rate. That is so um, low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half, and almost half. Those, those are the schools that we're targeting. So mm. a majority of our teens are either African-American, uh, Caribbean, or Hispanic. Um, and so that's beautiful in and of itself because 99% of our teens have graduated, not only graduated high school, hundred percent of our teens have graduated high school, but 99% oh. have graduated and matriculated into college. Um, Man, awesome. I'll throw a bunch of stats at you. 82% <laughs> of our seniors from last year, um, are first gen college students and uh -huh. of our alumni that are in college currently. 92% of them are either in college or have graduated college. Wow. So if you know anything about graduation rates among minority students, particularly those from low uh, income families and those that have never gone to college before, only about 9% graduate. So we're literally 10 wow. times the national average um, when it comes to graduation rates and college acceptance and success in college and beyond. Um, and so, Wow, that, kind of <laughs> wow, those, that's amazing though that's <laughs> that's insane um yeah in a lot of ways wow uh that's uh, obviously it, it shows the the intentionality that you guys have like i i've never thought about the the middle 60 that's a new term for me uh, it makes a lot of sense though yeah. a lot of sense because there are very targeted programs that uh yeah reach kids that have a lot of obstacles and um yeah, there is that that middle sixty. That's a that's a really cool concept. And man, just the obviously um, there's a lot of uh, focus and support for these students to uh, to achieve and to succeed. If you know you have that high of a uh, those high of numbers, um, you know to back it up. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll explain pre-COVID what our programming looked like, and then we can talk to you. <laughs> sure, COVID, yeah. What that's looked like, but basically before coronavirus, if you are a TLI, Teen Life Intern, what we call them, mm -hmm. um, you're in the program, so you're getting paid to be uh, basically an employee of our after-school program. So you mm -hmm. could work anywhere from one day a week to five days a week. You have a uniform, which is just a black polo that says "New City Kids" on it. Yep. And to work at our program to be put on the schedule, you have to submit your report cards. And so we say A's mm. equal days. So the more A's you get, the more days you work. If you are failing more than one class, you are pulled from the schedule. So McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, they, they could care less what the kids' grades are. They just want you to show up, right? right. Old Navy, fold the clothes, show up for your shift, go home. Right. We're the opposite. We want to know what your grades are. And if not only are you in jeopardy of being pulled from the schedule, if you don't turn in your report card or if you're failing a class, but if you have a C or lower, even if it's in gym class, we make them come to tutoring. Um, mm. 
Because if you got to see him, Jim, you're just most likely being forgetful, not bringing your uniform, or just not participating. So right, right. Um, we we want to incentivize good grades, uh, and so a lot of our teens improve their GPA uh, just by being in our program. But uh, not only is there submitting the report cards, they work their regular shifts at the after school center, and then we have things like professional visits. So we take them to Google. We take them to uh, cool. major banks and talk about financial institutions. We take them mm. uh, to basically any sort of profession that they show interest. We do fashion panels uh, where we have people in the fashion industry come and talk to our teens. We uh, have them introduced mm. into uh, law firms and different lawyers and um, just a whole range of professions. And so to complete your internship and not have to reapply for your job the next year, Mm -hmm. you have to go to two of those. Uh, and so they get paid to attend these things. So we're exposing yeah. them to things that they wouldn't usually have access to, right. uh, taking them out of their comfort zone and we're paying them to attend that. Um, then we introduce life skills. So life skills could be everything from financial literacy to cooking class to just like a fitness exercise class. Uh, Going sailing with you. I know you, you're always posting videos. <laughs> yeah. You're like in some sailing club. We, 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 do, have kids a, with you. we do have a city sail. Yep. That's our summer programming. It looks yep. dope, man. Yeah. So I don't know how to sail, so I would, I would die. So two years ago I didn't either, but, uh, Oh wow. It, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no experience, uh, <laughs> but I figured how many times are you going to get a chance to go sailing? Yeah. So, Oh, man. Now you so, can take you get to take these kids with them, and like, when are they when are they going to do that? Yeah, so that's our that's our summer program. That's a great segue. So we have our our ASD, our after school centers that run throughout the year. And mm -hmm. if you're a kid in the after school center, first to eighth grade, uh, you're having a teen leisure class. So we have two teens in the music classes. So we have uh, music class, piano, bass, drums, um, performing arts, and then we have the tutoring floor. We call it. And so kids in our school center, they're getting exposed to the gospel because one day a week we're doing a sermon day, mm. one day a week we're doing a worship day, and the kids and the teens are leading it, uh, and then they go to their classes. And so these teens are writing lesson plans, and they're leading wow. the classes, or they're on the tutoring floor helping the kids with their academics. And so that programming runs throughout the year, but then summertime hits, and we have something that I don't know of any other nonprofit, and it's a sailing school. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we employ a couple of the teens and they help us run the sailing program, but basically middle school and high school students get to learn how to sail and we take them out sailing on the Hudson. Uh, mm. and so if you follow me on social media, I oftentimes will post these videos because I'm not really doing anything on the boat because the kids and the teams are doing all the work. So, wow. uh, I'm just there to jump in basically if a kid goes overboard. Um, <laughs> Got you. Yeah, but we have these awesome okay. volunteers that they own mm. boats because we're a nonprofit. We we only own one boat, and it's because someone donated it to us. Um, but all these um, wealthier volunteers who have the means to own a boat, whether mm -hmm. it was given to them by their, their parents or inherited, you know what I mean? Right. Or they're just wealthy enough that they could buy a boat. They're getting exposed both to teens that have very different backgrounds but the reverse also happens where these teens are getting comfortable with one of our volunteers is a major real estate developer in Jersey city. Mm -hmm. Like he absolutely loves the city sale program. So these teens are interacting with a multimillionaire who's building these high rises in downtown Jersey city. And he's interacting with them and it's this awesome exchange that happens. Wow, um, man, this, yeah, so. 
this uh, just in so many ways sounds like a, an amazing program because you're incentivizing through a, a job, through money, which kids are always going to, you know, be attracted to. But, uh, you know, you're incentivizing getting good grades, um, having, you know, opportunities to do things they would otherwise not be able to do. And they're able to, you know, hear the gospel. It's uh, and you're saying even that is student led, uh, which is yep. really powerful. Um, that I, I mean, that's that's such a great ethos that the organization has of we want students to be uh, leading at every level. Um, yep. You know, that's that's something that um, you know I. I um, one of my mentors, she's she's does she does a lot of youth empowerment. She talks about how like the lowest level is adults telling kids what to do, and then you go up the ladder. The highest level is the students are coming up with the ideas and they are implementing the ideas and making things happen. And it makes a world of difference of the empowerment and uh, just the impact that's made. Uh, so that's. That's awesome stuff. Um, how can, like, if people are interested in that, uh, how can they how can they learn more? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, our website is newcitykids.org, um, and there's tons of information on all the cities. The annual report, you kind of see it, uh, and then there's some videos and stuff. I think too. There's a link uh, to our Vimeo. Or is there a donate YouTube. button? Of course, there's a donate button. <laughs> More people click that donate button. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Employing 70 teens takes a lot of uh, money to click do. Click that donate button and click. Is there a recurring there giving is. There option? Is. Yep. Yep. That, I'm oh, telling yeah. you, anybody who's raising funds, they want you to click the recurring <laughs> donation oh, yeah. every time. Um, that's awesome. Um, I also was thinking about. Um, I think that you had mentioned New City Kids was connected to um, the CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and this is one of the ministries that they had started. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, the the founding of New City Kids was actually a church plant. Uh, so our founders, oh, wow. okay. uh, Pastor Trevor and his wife Linda, started a church plant, and then uh, they geared it towards kids. And they were putting on it, it. Basically, you can imagine a church plant geared towards kids. The amount of production that it takes and prep and everything. And right. um, as time went on, they they wanted to make a tangible impact, but traditional church just wasn't getting it done mm. uh, in terms of what they were looking to do. And an after school center was needed. Uh, and it's so it, it kind of birthed itself uh, in that way. And somewhere along uh, the path, Pastor Trevor was introduced to CCDA, which um, was vital even in my own growth and uh, expansion on what does seeking justice look like in a community. Mm. Uh, and so they're members of the Christian community development. Um, and it's just, it's such a great organization to be connected to because there's just so many resources and um, even our current executive director, like she found out about us because we had the opening and uh, through a cohort at CCDA. And so um, it's, it's beautifully holistic um, the spiritual component is core to who we are. It's a core value, but we always call it a journey with Christ um, because a majority of the teams that we hire, they might have some church background, but they're not either believers themselves or mm-hmm. not active members. And we've even hired 
um, uh, teens that come from other faiths, Muslims and teens are wearing their hijab and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, but they're aware uh, it's a Christian organization. So yeah, yeah. We're very yeah. upfront with that. We, we don't <laughs> trick them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even the kids in our after school program, uh, at my site, it's a large Egyptian population, mm. uh, which is kind of split between Coptic, which is, uh, Orthodox Christianity from Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, and then Muslim. And so, it's interesting, even that dynamic too, of, of parents uh, who love our program, whether they be part of it, and they're like, they have to participate in the sermon and stuff. So we're we're very gracious in that. But uh, for our teens, we try to offer them specific um, spiritual development things through small groups. Uh, we even arrange for church visits. We want them to get acclimated with different churches that are in the community. Uh, and then we also do sometimes a, a monthly gathering just for them. Picture like a, a youth rally youth service um that's planned out by them geared towards them and so those are the different opportunities that we offer man this is this is amazing stuff (laughs) (laughs) like i had a little bit of an idea we've talked about this before but i know some of our listeners are gonna be real excited about this um because uh yeah it is just so holistic and empowering to students and um i love i love that it started out of a church plant out of out of someone uh, stepping forward in mission um, to reach uh, students for Christ and uh, realize that the traditional church is just not, it's not going to fit in that way. So that's okay. <laughs> um, there's other ways that we can reach people with the gospel. Um, so that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, I want to uh, just to um, think about like, how do how how do the things that New City Kids um, does how does that relate to issues of um, justice in Jersey City? Mm, that's a great question. Um, majority of our teens come from uh, what's called Greenville. Uh, it's a section in Jersey City, which uh, if you follow NJ.com uh, or tune into your local news station, you've most likely seen those streets of Greenville because it's where the shootings happen. It's where. Mm negative publicity happens. It's where uh, a lot of uh, corruption and just poor management uh, at a city level has happened. Um, it's also sadly where the mass shooting happened back in December. Uh, oh, wow, yeah. The uh, Jewish community was influenced. And so um, it, it, it's both an opportunity. Uh, we like to re- uh, reference breaking the cycles of poverty uh, mm. in terms of our teens and, and allowing them access to college uh, and giving them a clear roadmap on how to do it. Uh, every senior that's with us gets assigned a college advisor, uh, and most college advisors only have a handful of uh, students uh, at max uh, four. Um, okay. And why that's important is because most of these teens go to a high school that has uh, two to three guidance counselors for 500 students. Wow, so for 500, okay. You can imagine, yeah. and, and it only goes up from there. Uh, yeah. In terms of population so the ratios are a little bit off obviously yeah and um so for for our teens in terms of race in terms of injustice that's ex- uh that's experienced they're living it out on a daily basis uh they're the ones we've had teens get evicted out of nowhere and we're, we're having to pack up bags uh literally they're things in garbage bags and like mm. just use our vans to help them move out and find a storage unit and, and stuff we've um had teens uh involved in shootings um we've had teens had to go to funerals because their classmate who's a teenager was shot and killed um so the reality of existence as a 16 year old 
for the teens that I work with is very different than my existence as a 16 year old right. uh, in white suburbia. Uh, and so our teens experience so much uh, trauma um, and mm. uh, uh, di- difficulties that we actually have a, a kind of a, a small program we run called Brighter Day, um, which our co-founder, Pastor Linda founded, um, which is a safe space for them to uh, have a support group to talk about the what's called ACEs. Um, which are these adverse childhood experiences. And if you get enough of them, almost everybody that's found themselves in prison uh, or issues of substance abuse or anything like that has experienced uh, multiple ACEs Mm -hmm. of these childhood trauma experiences. And so for us, uh, it's giving them a space to talk about it. Uh, If there's a shooting, we always offer us as adult staff a space for them to talk about Mm. uh, what they experienced, whether they were close to the person. when the issues of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor pop up, um, we actually brought our teens to rallies that were happening in Jersey mm. City and protests. Um, and our staff, adult staff, is extremely diverse, but uh, for them to see uh, an Asian adult staff, a white adult staff, uh, standing arm in arm and yeah. going with them when these issues don't affect us in the same way, it, yeah. it speaks volumes to them. Um, but one of the coolest things more recently was um, a group of pastors organized a rally called Heal Our Land, um, mm-hmm. where we spoke out against uh, the issues that were happening in our nation. And um, for many of us pastors, they're not issues that just popped up because of a video um, uh, of police brutality. There are issues right. that we deal with every day. And um, there was a lot of elements to it, but I got the opportunity to invite New City Kids out and they performed a little step routine um, and they got to hear me lead a small public repent of white evangelicalism and the lack mm. of the church's response to issues of race and to us turning a blind eye for centuries uh, to the issue. And so um, that's not a common experience. You know what I mean? And so for Man. yeah, Man. to hear a white pastor acknowledge those things that they live on a daily basis um, makes Christ look that much more beautiful. Man, now now you know why I had David <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> just let him go. Man, this really is a powerful testament to holistic ministry. Um because tackling issues of of injustice, of of poverty, um they it's never just one thing. Um there are scores of things that um that cause and perpetuate um poverty and um yeah not being able to uh uh succeed and uh i mean you guys are really really taking a holistic approach um and it takes that takes a lot of work um to have all those things and uh obviously you've been around for more than 20 years um growing and uh, providing those things so man i I just gotta i just gotta shout you guys out thank you so much for uh, you can pass on my um, gratitude to everybody uh, over in Jersey City doing this work. Uh, but we do need to go ahead and uh, start to wrap things up here. Um, and I want to finish up by asking you the question that I like to ask everybody on this podcast. Um, if you could tell majority white church leaders anything, what would you tell them? Oh, man. <laughs> How much time do I have to talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, there's a 
there's a couple things that have been critical to my experience um, mm-hmm. as a white pastor, as a white man, as a white Christian, um, whichever identity you want to highlight, um, which is to hear from diverse perspectives. Mm. Um, you can't understand what it's like uh, to experience racism as a white male in the same way that it is for a black female um, or Hispanic male um, and to do life together, to be around one another. Um, So for my teens, I'm not only the white guy who gets a lot of issues. I'm also the guy that lives on Woodlawn Ave, uh, Mm. a notorious hotspot in Jersey city. Um, Now I lived on the quieter end of Woodlawn, but, when they heard I lived on Woodlawn, they were literally almost every teenager. What? You live on Woodlawn? Like, <laughs> ghetto. what do you mean you live on Woodlawn? Like, they were taking back that me as a white guy would live there. And now right. I live on Lexington and another notorious street. Once again, the quieter section of Lexington. But uh-huh. uh, one of my teens said, wow, you just must love the hotspots, don't you? Because <laughs> those are two blocks that you want to mm-hmm. try to avoid in Jersey City. But um, for me, it's I I don't have half the opportunities that I've had as a church planter without living in close proximity to mm. uh, people that I care most dearly about. Um, yeah. And so I Man, think proximity is, is key. Yeah. Makes a that's, huge difference. That's the starting point. Um, and I think the other thing that I would say is just being a social media warrior doesn't help anybody. Um, <laughs> can I, can I be so blunt? <laughs> <laughs> you can. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. If you want to see the the gift that the Lord has blessed me with, it's to anger white evangelicals on social media. Uh, <laughs> it happens regularly. Oh boy! <laughs> so maybe maybe don't look at my social media. I don't know. It might encourage you or discourage you. Who knows? Um, but if that was the only element of me addressing justice and uh, my faith with in relation to race, that is not what the gospel is calling me to. Mm, the gospel calls me to. far more um and to be quite frank the only reason why i I post things sometimes on social media is because of words that a congregant told me uh Hmm. amazing woman she recently got her phd from columbia her and her husband met at harvard so very intellect uh intelligent people that i was quite intimidated to be their pastor to say the least um and i was trying to look up when it was uh which incident it was and i think it was the Philando Castile incident. Mm. Um, we were discussing it in a small group and I just had a moment of vulnerability where I said, I feel like I, I can't speak to these things. I'm a white pastor group in the suburbs. I, I'm in Jersey city, but at any moment I could move out of Jersey city. Even mm. if life got right. tough, I move in with my parents. I'm back in a suburb. Like I'm, I'm in the safety net, you know? Um, and she challenged me and said, you need to speak to these issues because you have an audience that none of us have. Mm. These are issues that we've talked about for decades within the black community, within the brown mm. community, yeah. and it becomes an echo chamber and you have access to dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of people that might never have heard or seen anything like that if it wasn't for you speaking out. So um, that would be my challenge. Man. to. Well, that's a word for somebody. I know somebody <laughs> listening to this is like, oh man, I got to deal with that. Um and that's that's not easy either, uh, you know. I've I've struggled myself with with that as a as a white guy. What can I say? But you're right that we do have different relationships and different um, 
yeah, different networks and it, and it often is a, a, an echo chamber. And at the same time, you've got to deal with the consequences of speaking out or <laughs> saying anything. Sometimes you're going to get some interesting comments, um, yeah. from people that you have to respond with grace, um, as well as truth. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not easy. Um, it's a whole other yeah. podcast. Oh yeah. Oh man. Social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll have a whole panel discussion sometime. Um, you can definitely be on the panel for that. Cause I know, I know. Yeah. That's some of the things we've talked about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> social media and talking about these things is, is a whole minefield. It's but uh, David, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is really great. Um, how can, how can people connect with you? Um, so we've already talked about newcitykids.org. Uh, um, how can they connect with you on uh, if they want to take the foray <laughs> into your social media world? How, how can they connect with you? So full transparency. I don't know when I will download social media back onto my phone because I recently ah, deleted it. Got you. Okay. It's part of my own mental health. And because I watched that crazy Netflix doc, uh, <laughs> right. I feel like... <laughs> Social dilemma, I think it is, or whatever. Yes, yeah. I was like, deleting all of these things, I will not be a product. <laughs> Got you. All right. Well, there you um, go. No, but I didn't I didn't deactivate it. I just deleted it off my phone. So I still occasionally will log on because uh, I still have to do things for church on Facebook. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook, David Carment, uh, C-A-R-M-E-N-T. Uh, or they could just email me, too, if you want to reach out directly. It's simple. David at newcitykids.org is my work email, so feel free to hit me up but yeah i'm on instagram and uh facebook yeah, i'm not i'm 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 too old by the teen standards to be on anything else that's hip like tiktok and stuff so oh man <laughs> that's okay it's all right are you on tiktok I, I, am i behind the curve oh man i am i on tiktok i spend way too much time <laughs> on tiktok it's very entertaining i've made one tiktok so far Oh, maybe I have to get on it just to see it. <laughs> Gotta check it out. I, I do a dance. It's great. <laughs> yeah. All right, David, thank you so much. We'll see all of you on the next episode. So see you later. Nail it. <laughs>